All right, let's get you fixed up here. The Sense Nation podcast is brought to you by Dunrobin Distilleries. Now, podcasting to Ottawa Senator fans around the world. Around the world. It's the Sins Nation podcast. All right, another adeptish. I want to do addition and episode at the same time. Hey, everybody, it's another episode of the Sens Nation podcast. My name is Steve Warren, along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. we got lots to get to, even though we are starting to get into the dog days as far as Sens news goes. Still lots going on around the Stanley Cup playoffs and some other news trickling in as well. As we kind of look ahead as well at the NHL draft to look forward to, there's the expansion draft and uh, lots of buzz. All the same, even though the Sens have their feet up poolside, most of the players. So uh, anyway, lots to get to over the course of this show. Greg, how are things with you today? Things are good, Stephen. Our Islanders won today. Yes. Yes. So Looking yeah, good. that's they got the, the resetting, the final four. For those who've been living under a rock, it is the Islanders taking on the Tampa Bay Lightning, your defending Stanley Cup champions. As you mentioned, Greg, the Islanders take game one in Tampa today, two to one, and the other one will be the one that most people around here are wildly interested in, that's the Montreal Canadiens taking on the Vegas Golden Knights. And it certainly seems on paper, like, just leave leave today's result aside, on paper it certainly seems like you know, 90% of hockey fans would be looking at a Tampa-Vegas Stanley Cup final. Not going to happen. Our Islanders are going to win, Steve. Come on. There you go. Yeah, and, and, and it's my childhood dream come true. Could Could happen the Islanders in the final and just destroy the Montreal Canadiens. Oh, I would live for that. Just, that would be phenomenal. So do you think Montreal even has a chance, though? No. Yeah, <laughs> having, having said that, no, I don't think they have a chance. But then again, I didn't think they had a chance against the Leafs, and uh, I wasn't sure they had a chance against Winnipeg. I mean, didn't have a chance. I wouldn't have said that, but I didn't think they'd get by Winnipeg. I just I can't see them getting by Vegas. Like, come on. That's just, that's the, 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 it struck midnight. It's time to go home, find the pumpkin and get out of town. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm of the same mind and I get the same pushback that you just gave right now. When I talked to Montreal Canadian fans about it. Um, I mean, I grew up a Hab fan, so I got nothing against them the way I have something against the blue team, but uh, I really don't think that uh, they have a shot for the reasons you mentioned. I mean, Vegas is just so good. And that's the pushback all the time. Hab fans say, well, no one thought they had a chance against the Leafs. No one ch- thought yeah. they had a chance against the Jets. Well, the, this is uh, uh, this is Vegas, and I think they're a step above, and they are playoff tested, which is all weird stuff to say against such a, te- a team that didn't exist not that long ago. But they have a lot of guys who are playoff tested now. And, uh, and to beat Colorado the way they did, uh, I think there's no shortage of fans who thought Colorado was a team that could very well win the Stanley Cup this year. That team is absolutely loaded, and Vegas looked great in that series. So I, I just don't see it. And I think you have to ask yourself the question, if you're being realistic about this series, um, Montreal's in a seven-game win streak. Like, is this? Are you saying this is the new normal? The Montreal <laughs> Canadiens are going to you know, just continue along here and win this Stanley Cup? Or is this maybe the anomaly we saw at the start of this season when the Habs went 7-1-2, and two, and then, you know what, to their bed, mm. went on a terrible run in February to the point where they fired Claude Julien. So I just don't think I can put away that 56-game run all in favor of getting hot for seven games because if you go back to where we were headspace-wise, when the Habs were down 3-1 to Toronto, Hab fans were talking, and media, they were all talking about how flawed the Habs were, how lacking, right. you know, there was a poorly constructed team. So a seven-game win streak, it's awesome. It's been great. But I just don't think that uh, they're going to keep this going, especially when they've been off for a week. That's, that, what's worse for a hot streak than a week off? Yeah. But then, but then I can't believe I'm going to say this. Um, it, this is going to sound pro-Montreal, but they actually, this may be the first series of the playoffs where their weakness uh, generally thought to be down the middle center ice, they might actually have the better crew of center icemen than Vegas does. They've got some big bodies uh, on the back end that that can can cause a beating down low in their own zone, um, and they've got a world class goaltender. So um, I don't want them to win. I don't think they're going to win, but maybe I won't be as surprised 
if they do better than we're all thinking. Let's put it that way. I, right. I, you know, it's 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 it won't be a sweep. They will compete. They will compete uh, in in every night just by having Carey Price in net. Um, but I do think their strength down the middle and their big bodies uh, in the back end down low in their own zone will allow them to compete more than people who think it's a sweep or or think it's a foregone conclusion. Uh, it's it's a wake up call. I think take a look at that and see what's there, and it's not that bad. I think it's Vegas in five, but I'm hoping for a good series uh, because yeah. uh, I don't know. I don't really have anything on this series or anything like that. But it, it has a charm, though, doesn't it? When you think no. about it, there's no older franchise than the Montreal Canadiens, and there's no younger one than the Vegas Golden Knights. You're calling there's, that charm? What's that? That's charm, then? Yeah, I think there's something interesting about that. The oldest <laughs> franchise versus the youngest. Okay. All right. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. They're, they're right. just It's like I'm looking at it it's sort of like the same thing you just said. I'm looking at it from the negative side saying that there's no history here. There's no animosity. There's no, you know, longstanding historic battles between the two. And, and like, what is it? Okay. Apparently Vegas has more Quebec-born players than the Habs do. Um, but, you know, Max Pacioretty uh, versus Thomas Tatar, who's the only one left over, or Suzuki, I guess, right? Yeah. Left over from that trade. Um, By the way, did you just, hear that joke that Eric Macromala had about no. Pacioretty? No. So Pacioretty, of course, the former Montreal Canadiens captain. You know, the, yeah. obviously it's going to be an interesting series for him. He probably never in a million years thought, uh, I'm now a member of the Vegas Golden Knights. I look forward to one day playing uh, my old team in the conference final. That didn't seem to have a very good chance of happening, but so is the COVID <laughs> world we're in. But Eric got off the good line in that uh, Habs fans – um, sorry, the, the Montreal Canadiens uh, arena officials have widened all the stanchions in, in the arena. Huh? <laughs> oh, and they geez. said, too soon? Too soon? Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. A little run okay. at the Zidane Chara stanchion <laughs> incident. <laughs> and you, do you remember, like, didn't it seem like the guy got a breakaway against the Senators every time he played them? A million percent. Remember that? It's like, oh, Max Pacioretty got to get a breakaway again tonight. Like, every night they played, he got a breakaway. That's what I always, that's the name that always popped in mind when watching Connor Brown because yes, he would, exactly. he would go through Same these here. long stretches of these breakaways and he never finished them but breakaway <laughs> after breakaway uh at least you know Connor Brown is kind of I don't know if he's arrived per se but he's certainly uh become a more consistent finisher which has been good to see but uh that's off topic um yes. so it'll be interesting to see uh one of the things about Vegas before we move on to uh, talking a little bit more about the Islanders win um just around the corner, we're going to have the expansion draft. And how do you feel about Vegas not having to lose a player in yeah, the expansion it, draft? I, for for the edification of our loyal listeners, we you do send me an email and say these are the topics we're going to, to you know going to think about or chat about today, mm-hmm. and you put that in there. And and my first thought was, um, are you coming at that from the view of they're too good, therefore they should be in it? Instead of thinking about it as, you know, they're only three years old, therefore they shouldn't be in it. You know what I'm saying? Like if like if they sucked, like like the Washington Capitals or the Islanders or even the early Senators, and there was an expansion draft three years later, we would have no problem with it and say, yep, of course they shouldn't be in it. But here, because they're good, is that what's uh, kind of informing your decision? Yeah, or, I sorry, part I'm, of it. I'm assuming that you think that they shouldn't be. They're, sorry, that they should be. Yeah. Part I- of it. I do think they should be in there just because, as it turns out, uh, they got those expansion rules were extremely favorable. I don't think the NHL uh, had a full read on exactly how advantageous some of the rule changes they made yep. when you compare it to earlier expansion drafts. I mean, that, you know, we, I mean, you don't even have to be of a certain age. I was going to say, oh, if you have a certain vintage, you expect expansion teams to suck. Uh, well, everybody, you know, who's, you know, 15 and under, it still feels that way. Anyway, um, I think that once we realize, okay, these rules were extremely favorable, it, it, it now in hindsight looks uh, like it, they should participate just well, a, with a, every other team. But again, it's one of those deals where it's like you negotiate something and it suddenly works in your favor. It doesn't mean you go back and renegotiate. You just say, well, I'm glad we wrote that into the whole process. Uh, and I guess the NHL can't go back on it, but in hindsight, it doesn't seem fair. Well, what did Vegas pay? Six fifty. Yeah, six fifty. Right. Mm-hmm. You pay six hundred fifty million dollars 
um, you're going to negotiate something and good on them for negotiating this last sort of perk, I guess. This is the last perk they've gotten or that they're going to get because of expansion, that they're not involved in this draft. Yeah. Um, as for uh, lacks or changes that were made that, that made it a little more lax or a little easier for them to get good early, how much of it was the change in the rules and how much of it was good shrewd management to some smart decisions, some snooping around and finding ideas and figuring out loopholes and, and taking advantage of things? Like how much of it was if it were somebody else, it were another team, would they have thought of what the kinds of things that Vegas thought of? I don't know that we'd ever know. Yeah, it's sour grapes. I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stretch this conversation <laughs> okay. out too much. I mean, uh, as someone who lived through the Ottawa Senators expansion draft where they went through it with Tampa Bay, I'm a bit of a bitterman to see not yeah. only how that worked out. I mean, yes, there was great strategy, and I give them full credit. George McPhee did a great job, uh, but the rules allowed him. To muck sure. around with those things. Those rules were what had teams panicking. Oh my God, I'm going to lose player X. I got to throw them a draft pick so that they don't take player X. Um, so the rules helped out a lot. And uh, there's no question, you, you can't go back on what you decided on in the negotiation between the NHL and the right. Vegas Golden Knights. And the other angle is that I think puts this story completely to bed. Um, you know, your hammer, your home run over left field wall is the fact that Vegas doesn't share in the Seattle money. They don't get a cent of it. That's true. So that puts it to, to rest. It just, I'm a bitterman because of the Sens thing. And I just, <laughs> it, it bugs me because Vegas is so much better than my team. They're back in these conference finals or whatever they're calling it, Stanley Cup semifinals. And they've got Mark Stone as their captain. So <laughs> I, I just feel like Vegas fans don't deserve all this. And they feel like they should rescind the old deal and they should lose this player in the expansion draft because Vegas has had it too good for too long already. Anyway. And, and, and how much of the, the fact that uh, McPhee and, and McCrimmon and his staff did such a good job, how badly is that going to affect Seattle? Because some decisions were made particularly what the Florida Panthers did um, destroyed them there for a few years yeah. and basically gave uh, Vegas two thirds of their second line. How much of all of that stuff will now educate the rest of the league so that Seattle now can't sort of take advantage of the same sort of things in the same sort of ways that Vegas was able to. So Seattle is, is going to be a little, little tougher for them. I think. Where's your prediction now? Cause uh, Seattle is about to enter the fray is Seattle going to be the worst team in the nhl or not i don't think they will be no no i think they'll, they'll still get enough um because of the because of covid and the flat cap they're going to be able to jump in on some free agents that uh, that other teams obviously won't be able to so i i depending on how strong a, a core they can come up with out of the expansion draft that will help them with free agents um I, they will not be the worst team in the league no i don't think do so think? either uh, yeah, exactly. Not while you have the Buffaloes. I mean, Buffalo is still talking about tearing down. Oh, yeah. You know, they, they win the draft lottery. Good for them. They're going to get Owen Power to add to the mix. But they're also talking about, okay, looks uh, Elliot Friedman reported this week, it looks like Jack Eichel is done in Buffalo. Uh, Jeff Skinner, people think that he's probably done there as well. It really does look like they're still tearing down. Like The rebuild hasn't started. So there's a good chance, I think, that Seattle could finish ahead of, for example, a team like the Buffalo Sabres. For sure. And there are other people on their way down. Yeah. The, the other, sorry, other people, other teams. Like, <clears throat> I don't know, like, how's a Columbus doing? Like, they're, they're, they're tumbling almost into a free fall. They're, they're tinkering or tinkering, sorry, they're teetering that they could be going, whoa, and have one of those 15 or 20 point drops. Yes. Uh, Dallas, Dallas is another team that could be, oops, we're done. Vancouver, depending on how Jim Benning handles his offseason, could be in serious trouble. Um, there's there's other teams out there that uh, that you don't the teams you don't even think about beyond the obvious right beyond the bottom five teams there are other teams that you're not even thinking about that there'll, there'll be one or two out there they're going to drop significantly in the standings that that we're not even thinking of right now yeah Columbus is a good one to point out first because I think that uh, that's a team that you know they're when I see John Tortorella walk away voluntarily. There are only so many gigs, and I wonder if that's not part of it, that he sees the writing on the wall. He sees what the future looks like and decides, okay, I'm not going to – I mean, it may have been a mutual thing. It might have been uh, the organization wanted to go in a new direction at the end of his contract. But uh, from all understanding, it sounds like Tortorella 
uh, you know, it was by his own volition that he walked away from that thing. And there's usually a reason for that. And you, you look at Seth Jones, some talk that he might not be back. Exactly. Yeah. And you got a new coach there in, in Brad Larson, um, hiring from within there. And uh, be interested to see how that goes. They said he was their guy from day one. Uh, he's been with the organization for several years. He actually goes back before John Tortorella. And uh, uh, Jarmo Kekalainen was saying that uh, we're going – he was the bar from day one. They interviewed him three times. And they kept going back to him, and he was the bar. They called it the Lars Bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so Larson was their guy, and everybody that they interviewed after that never really lived up to the Lars Bar, and so they hired him. And I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised, honestly, that they didn't look more seriously at Brad Shaw – who just joined the Vancouver Canucks this week, the former Ottawa Senator and uh, 67's captain. He's got twice the amount of experience as Brad Larson. He too was on Tortorella's staff over the last few years, though not for as long as Larson has been. But I'm surprised that uh, he didn't get a little love from Kekalainen. And and he even had a stint as an interim head coach at one point, did he not, with the Islanders, I believe. That's right. Um, I just we, we, The whole thing is kind of interesting in that, okay, how much of this guy is – has been influenced by Tortorella. Is Brad Larson a Tortorella disciple? Is he a totally different type of coach? Like, how did he get this job? How did it become that he was our guy? Mm-hmm. Is he your guy? Because we know that Kekalainen and Tortorella had a very good relationship and, and uh, Kekalainen loved torts. Um, is this just a continuation or is this a guy who, okay, he knows our players, but he has some different ideas and different way to go. It'll be interesting to see the first month or two, how it turns out. But if, if they end up tumbling and falling, like I just said, they might, and you lose a Seth Jones, that's even more possible. Is he going to be the first casualty of the new season too? Yeah. yeah. You know, I wonder too. I mean, it's going to be uh, such a change for the players. You're almost going to need as a player with the Columbus Blue Jackets, a decompression chamber to go from, I mean, I don't know too much about Brad Larson, so I shouldn't speak at a turn, but Tortorella is uniquely volatile and like I say it's going to be a big old transition for most of the players on that team but I'd imagine guys like Patrick Laine are uh are just waving the Brad Larson welcome to Columbus flag right now <laughs> <laughs> oh but then again Laine sat what like his one of his first two games there he was chirping an assistant coach on the bench remember that and that's why he was sat for the third period one night, I, I, I'm assuming it wasn't Larson. <laughs> Maybe it was Brad Shaw. Who knows? Right. Well, for his sake, it wasn't Larson because, uh, well, yeah. he's the new sheriff in town and it won't go very well for Patrick Laine, who's an interesting case study for sure. And uh, and certainly a couple of interesting guys when you look at uh, how non-existent Pierre-Luc Dubois was for Winnipeg oh. in that Montreal series. Like, oh, my God. Wake up, yeah. man. Do you want to play in the NHL or not? You're talented as hell. You're big. You're fast. But you look asleep out there, especially after the big breakout he had in in the bubble last year. Mm-hmm. Like he he was phenomenal through the playoffs for them last year. Killed the Leafs. Yeah, killed the Leafs. Yeah, and then just did nothing. Like since the trade, okay, you know he had to go in quarantine, and then when he came back, all right, he needs a few games to get comfortable, get used to this, and then just never really stepped in. And then even with the Stastny injury, he moves up the lineup and and still, I just, I was like you too, like, wake up kid. When are you going to, you know, you've been presented with something real nice here, pal. And he just didn't seem to ever answer the bell. All right, so let's get back to the uh, we're into the final for the NHL's version of it with the Stanley Cup semifinals and uh, Montreal and Vegas as we record this on June 13th have yet to begin their series, but the Islanders have opened up with game one with a Sunday afternoon win over Tampa Bay, two to one, and uh, and we both have allegiances to the Islanders for different reasons. You kind of grew up an <laughs> Islander fan. Uh, they were my pick to win the Stanley Cup out of the gate going into these playoffs. But what makes you so certain they really have a chance against the Stanley Cup champs? Barry Trotz. Hmm. That's that's all it takes. Barry Trotz and a, a you've got eighteen guys with a slavish de, slavish devotion to the Trotz way. It's it's that simple. They just they play so well together. Um, I'm I'm kind of tired now of hearing people say they're boring and low scoring and all that. Well, they they've come into the into this series through the first two rounds, are they not, they're, they're leading the league in goals per game. Like they, they do produce offensively more than people are giving them credit for. 
And guess who the leading scorer continues to be? There, yeah. <laughs> JG Pajo. Are we going to have to talk about JG Pajo again this week? Not necessarily. No, I'm just, okay. throwing, I'm just throwing that out there because uh, he, he has been so good for them. And whether we get into the whole regret thing or not, um, I mean, well, he's let's just, get into it. Who do you what? What's your bigger regret, Pajo or Stone? Yeah, I was going to chuck that out there as a as a possibility, as as you know, because right now it's probably still Mark Stone. Uh, but who will provide Sens fans with more regret through their entire careers? The longest framing of regret, <laughs> the longest run of regret, who will it be? And uh, my my first thought was maybe it could be Pajot because I think that he's probably just more physically suited to the long haul, whereas Mark Stone is, uh, you know, he's learned to deal with his skating as it is. I still don't think he's like a, you know, the best skater you'll ever see. Stride still looks a little choppy and everything, but he's still, I think, above average as far as a skater goes. Some of the back checks you see out of that guy. Um, but I think that uh, with Mark Stone, uh, he, he'll, a lot of the takes are, okay, he's going to lose a step near the end of that contract, so it will fade a little. But uh, I think with Mark wow. Stone, I regret more because of what they ended up getting back in the trade. So even if his even if his career is abbreviated, they got Brandstrom for Mark Stone. With JG Pajo, the Sens got a ton back. So I think that's going to mitigate my regret level somewhat. So I'm going to stay say that the Stone thing is more regret for me. I think it's more of a it's more of a sprint versus a marathon, and it's more of a regular season performance versus playoff performance. I think that in the long haul, in the marathon, it will be Pajo still producing and still causing you regret later in his career than stone will but in the short term and in regular season play and, and just putting up the kinds of numbers that he's going to put up stone will be the one that will will hurt a lot and you've made a good point with brandstrom too that that that, that may be the trump card right okay yeah it might be a tie but no wait a minute eric yeah okay fine yeah stone yeah you're right yeah you know when you think about the regret, you're only thinking about the on ice stuff, but uh, yeah, that, right. That's gotta that's gotta play into the overall regret level. I regret them both. Uh, don't don't get me wrong, and uh, both of them are playing great. And who knows? Maybe there's a chance they end up meeting in a Stanley Cup final to really amp up the regrets. I will call it Regret Bowl 2021. <laughs> oh, well, 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 let me float this by you. Um, in three or four years, if yeah. the Senators are, or even in two years. If the senators are to be where we think they're going to be, mm-hmm. do we really need to still be looking back on those those moves? Because without those moves, they wouldn't be where they are, and they wouldn't be where they're going to be. Yeah. They won't be able to get there, right? Like it, it, it had to happen. I sat down and we were adding up the numbers, the the dollar figures that players signed for after they left here. I went all the way back to Turris and Duchesne. And then you add in Carlson and you add in these two, Paggio and Stone. And there was no way this team was ever going to pay even one of those guys the amount of money they ended up getting. Right. Um, It just, it it had to happen in order to get to where we're at and in order for this team to get to where hopefully they're going to get to. You know, we might be in rocking chairs by the time uh, (laughs) the whole smoke clears from all of this and we can really truly assess our regret level. Uh, regrets we've had a few and I was thinking about um, because those are the two big names as far as ex-Ottawa Senators still live in these playoffs and I was cruising around looking for others and uh, noted Curtis McElhinney is uh, is Tampa's backup and I'm looking at uh, oh, he's not going to play in these uh, playoffs obviously <laughs> but Kyle Palmieri is in the mix as well and that he, he was never a former Ottawa Senator but it got me thinking about trade trees and such he was drafted in the first round in 2009, now plays for the Islanders. I think he's on the line with Pajot, right? Yeah, Pajot and uh, Travis Ajak. There you go. So he was drafted first in uh, in the first round in 2009, and it was with a pick that the Sens owned for a little bit. And Yeah, that uh, pick went around like four different teams had that pick. Oh, yeah, exactly. San yeah. Jose, uh, Anaheim, Tampa, Ottawa, the Islanders, and Columbus. They all had that first round pick at one point. And uh, so Ottawa's, so this is how Ottawa got it and lost it. They got it in 08 when they traded Andre Mazaros to Tampa. Sens also ended up with Philip Kuba in that deal. But Mm -hmm. then they gave that first rounder away in 09. 
along with Dean McCammon the following year to the Islanders from Mike Comrie and Chris Campoli. So that's how they got the first round pick and gave away that first round pick uh, that would eventually end up in Anaheim's hands in 09. And they drafted Kyle Palmieri in the first round. I found that kind of interesting in the whole process, but maybe I'm <laughs> okay. all alone on that. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're right. We are in the dog days. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But uh, we won't be for very long because the well, draft. Are there no other Islanders? Or Islanders? Are there no other Senators? That's um, it? I didn't look too deeply on it, honestly. Okay, because there were quite a few. Didn't somebody else? One of the one of the defensemen went to the Islanders. Oh, yeah. Braden Coburn. Braden Coburn. There yeah. you go. I, I don't know. He's, he's, he's not playing, though. He won't even dress, no. Yeah. But he he he's there. I um, there's nobody in Montreal, right? No, no. No, there's and Stone and yeah, you're probably right. Eh? There's only the only those two in Coburn. Oh, I'm sorry, and Curtis McElhaney. Yeah, there was Paquette. Uh, yeah, he's gone he left, now. Yeah. He was with Carolina, yeah. and then Nate Thompson, I think, was uh, mucking around somewhere, but he was yeah. eliminated too. He, anyway, uh, so there's a few in there. I'm not sure if this. I didn't do uh, too big of research on that, but uh, anyway, yeah. so. Let's move along because uh, we are in the dog days as far as Sens news yes. goes, but there's certainly lots of previewing to do, lots of uh, research and uh, looking ahead. For example, the NHL amateur entry draft, as we all know by now, the Sens will choose at the 10th spot. And my takeaway from doing a little work and reading and uh, looking at some of the kids available is uh, it looks to me like, okay, you got the two Michigan kids, it'll probably go one and two. Defenseman yep. Owen Power and center Matthew Beneers. And that would go power to Buffalo, Beneers to Seattle. And then after that, it looks like a complete jambalaya. You go from <laughs> one so-called expert, and they've got, you know, player X at number three, and then the next guy will have player X at 15. It's It just seems to be all over the map. But we thought we'd uh, spend a moment or two here talking about uh, some of the players that might be available to the Ottawa Senators at the number 10 position. And the one name that I hear more and more um, is, is centerman Mason McTavish of the Peterborough Peets. Got that local tie that the organization always likes, played for the Ottawa Valley Titans. And he also played in the uh, for Team Canada at the U18s. And he was uh, fantastic there with 11 points in seven games. And uh, one of the things I read about him, uh, who is that from? Scott Wheeler. There you go. How did you, my, my God. Well, if you're um, reading about drafts, you got to read about Scott Wheeler. That's all there is to it. Yeah, no, it just, I mean, there was 20 guys you could have picked, but that's exactly who it was because we had him on the show. And uh, uh, anyway, he talked about uh, how feisty he was at, at the pro skate. And uh, he got it there with guys like Claude Giroux. And he was, uh, he was being a, like a little ball of hate, just even in a pro skate, which is yeah. generally appreciated by the well-established NHL stars that are out there with you. But uh, it just shows he's not a shrinking violet. He just likes to play as a bit of a buzzsaw SOB out there. So he's one name that I, I see consistently as a real strong possibility for the Sens at 10. Well, here, Steve, you got a calculator handy? Uh, yeah. Okay, here's what you're going to add. Are you ready? Oh, my phone's <laughs> dead. Great. Oh, no. Really? Let me, let me just fire okay, let's my, do it under my iMac let's... calculator. Stand by okay. here. All right, because yeah. I've got 13 scouting services here. And I've got Mason McTavish on the page. Okay. And here is his various assorted positioning. I'm ready. 14, 5. What am I doing 15, with these numbers? Adding them? Add, add them up. Yeah. Okay. 14, 5, 15, 21, 16, 2, 9, 17, 29, 14, 32, 17, and 11. Total that divided by 13. I'm thinking somewhere in the late teens. 15th. Oh, okay. So there you go. The 13 leading scouting services average out to having him at 13th overall. So you're sorry, 15th, 15th overall. Is that what you said? Yep. yep. Yeah. So he'll probably be available at 10. Right. Is that a bit of a jump? Yeah, not if you really like him. Yeah. But you, you, were, you, were, you were talking some in the 20s, right? So who knows exactly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so but that it, just shows it, you the uh, <laughs> the disparity amongst the uh, various scouting services and out there right now. Yeah. And there's, uh, you know, many leagues were shut down and nobody was flying. OHL he didn't play. He went in Europe, though, right? 
Yeah, yeah. No, I'm just saying that I don't, I don't think any league can say they had business as usual is my point. Yeah. So, yeah, but then you have the uh, the extreme example of the OHL playing no games. So it, it, it's right. My point is that it's bound to be a crapshoot to start with. And uh, that's why you have I think, so much disparity and um, not very much in the way of uh, unanimous thinking. Other names that are out there, Cole Sillinger, who's a center with Sioux Falls. Couple of names. These, by the way, these are the, the names I'm going to give you here. I think they were in Wayne Scanlon's column from about okay. ten days ago. We love Scanner. Um, yeah. So Cole Sillinger from Sioux Falls, uh, and Sillinger certainly fits in with the uh, son of former NHLer, which uh, the Sens love. Uh, former of- senator. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Mike Sillinger yeah. was a former everybody. Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I think he holds the record, right? He does. So there's 13 teams, is it not? Yeah, it's around there. Anyway. Now, that, that's a kid who was slated to play uh, for Medicine Hat in the dub. Okay. And then uh, he sought his release and was allowed to go play in the USHL. That's how. That's why he said to be from Sioux Falls. Right. Yeah. Uh, we've got a left winger by the name of William Eklund, who had 23 points in 40 games uh, in the Swedish Elite League, playing against men. That's uh, That has kind of a Stutzla vibe about it in terms of uh, productivity and such. Yep. Um, Kent Johnson is uh, another University of Michigan player. He had uh, 27 points in 26 games, left winger slash centerman. Um, some I don't know he falls to 10, right? It, it's not likely. Uh, McKean's okay. has him at 11, and uh, one other service has him as high as sixth. Ooh, okay. So, um, yeah, that's a possibility, too. There's, and then the other guy that uh, Scanner has is Fedor Svechkov, a centerman. Uh, playing in Russia and at the U18s this year, he had 10 points in seven games, which uh, which carries a lot of weight because, again, scouting was limited this year. And so that U18 tournament, if you performed well there, that's going to bode well for your draft stock. Um, there's a couple other names out there. Oh, okay. Um, uh, that uh, uh, one I know you've already uh, kind of laid claim to, so I'll steer clear of. No, no. <laughs> Go ahead. No, no, I, I'm not necessarily taking my guy. Him. My guy is Lucius. Right. I, 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 Chaz Lucius, Lu, Lucius, Lu, Lucius, Lucius, Lu, Lucius, Chaz Lucius, Chaz. I want them to take Chaz. He's a goal scorer. I want right. a goal scorer. I've, I've, I've made no, uh, no shrinking violet when it comes to making a comment on that, that they require skill. They require high end skill. They require elite level players. Somebody who has the potential to maybe be a superstar at some point, And I'm, I'm, Maybe he's, this isn't the answer to that, but at least he is a natural goal scorer. Thirteen right. goals in twelve games with the uh, with the U.S. National uh, Development Program. Uh, I just I, I see him as being a real good answer here. Yep. No, I would have been fine with Chaz Lucius as my pick, but uh, yep. since you've got him, um, that breaks the tie. I'm going. I'm going to take one of two guys that interest me: Mason McTavish or. And I'll firm this up before draft day. For now, these are my two for now. I'm going to take McTavish or another name, Matthew Coronado. Yep. He's a right winger in the USHL, and he had 48 goals in 51 games. So if you like goal scores, that might be another guy that might uh, give you a little interest. And the one name that's sort of out there is a wild card because I, I read – from a couple of places that one scout describes this goaltender as the best goalie he's seen in the draft in five years. And this is a year after, you know, the Russian kid from last year that everybody was drooling about. So Jesper Wallstedt, goalie yep. in the Swedish elite league and a starting goalie playing with men. He play. He, it was, um, he played 22 games and the other two guys on the team, I think played about the combined the same amount. So he was just by games played their number one goalie this year. And, uh, did not have a very good playoffs, but that said, that's still damn impressive to be in the Swedish Elite League as the de facto starter, and you're 17 years old. Uh, so the question becomes, if that guy's available at 10, would you be tempted to maybe go after him if he's so highly rated, or are you happy with this pile of goalies you already have? Well, <laughs> Are you asking me for my personal opinion, or are you asking me what I think the team will do? <laughs> I'd like to know both. <laughs> I think that if he is there, the Senators may just take him. Um, partially because I don't think they're completely 100% sold on the goaltending situation. Mm-hmm. 
between you know Decord, Gustafson, even Matt Solgard, Kevin Mandelize, whoever. Um, I don't think they're one hundred percent sold. This guy has drawn comparisons as being better than Askarov, who was last year's big goalie choice. Remember? Yep. He's also drawn comparisons to uh, Carey Price. Apparently, he's very calm and strong technically. And as an eighteen-year-old playing as a starting goalie on a on a Swedish elite league uh, team, that's impressive. So I I could see them taking him. Uh, the the story is the two goalies that are available. Uh, probably are both going to go in the top 15. So I can see that happening, but I still want them to take the goal score. Right. <laughs> I still want the sniper. I wouldn't take the goalie. Yeah. I'm always yeah, the same you know? way. I, yeah. I, good. For sure. If it's a top five, there's not even a discussion. 10, even it's still pretty much a slam dunk for me that I want to go with the tried and true um, defenseman. I mean, you have to be a pretty special defenseman for me to get riled up about you in the top 10. Uh, forwards just are a better bet when you're rolling the dice and that's really to some degree what this whole thing is it's a rolling of the dice to figure out if an 18 year old has a mental psyche even though they look good in junior or, or collegiate play you have no idea what the mental framework will be when they get out there in the pros against men and uh and the bright lights are shining they're living the dream now oh my god you never know it could go tilt it could all go kablooey but it is a much lesser chance uh, when it comes to the forward position, I just think it's more tried and true to take a forward when in doubt, go forward. Uh, and obviously goalie would be my third option. Goalies are just, even though this guy is so highly touted, I just feel like goalies can go sideways on you as far as how, prospects how do you go. Pass, <clears throat> excuse me, how do you pass on the stats though from, is it Kosa or Casa, Sebastian Casa with the Edmonton Oil Kings? Like uh, Mike, have you seen his record from this not. past year? 17 1 and 1, a 941 save percentage, and a 1.57 GAA in the dub. These are the two goalies that are both expected to go in the top 15. One last guy that uh, you might want to make a note of is a guy named Brent Johnson. Uh, he is only seen as a guy who's in the top 40 in, in the draft stock, uh, but he might be a guy to keep an eye on as well for maybe late, a second rounder because. Guess which university he's committed to? <laughs> yes, no. Sir. Yes, sir. Okay, fair enough. North Dakota, baby. North Dakota, always something to keep an eye on. So Brent Johnson. All roads, all roads to Ottawa go through North Dakota. Maybe. It certainly seems like they do. So the Minnesota Wild this week have signed Ray Shiro who has been a general manager in a couple of stops around the NHL. They've signed him as a senior advisor to the GM, which provoked some discussion in that for a long time, this same position seems like, I don't know, two, three years ago, I first started hearing about it. The Sens were going to go get somebody like that for Pierre Dorian. Wouldn't it be a good idea for the Sens to invest in one of those Ray Shiro types? Yes, it would. We thought so then, and I still think so now. Just somebody to talk to, somebody to bounce ideas off of. Um, really, Pierre Dorian has had no one in that type of a position since Brian Murray. And, and like, yeah, we talked about it for a long time. It used to be big news and used to be a constant running theme through this city. And then they seemed to hire a president finally, but didn't really address the I don't know, what do you want to call him? Vice president of hockey operations or president of hockey operations. Not really a hockey guy in there, a senior, experienced, you know, a former GM who could serve in that sort of mentor. Really, maybe not even mentor now. Maybe just a, a, the, the guy that's there to bounce ideas off of. And they just, he, he, there has not been one in ever in Ottawa since, since well, Brian Murray was the only one, right, in their, in their history, I think, yeah. who was in that sort of role. I think if you went around the NHL and looked at the playoff teams and their organizations and maybe interviewed their team president or the general manager and ask about best practices within a hockey executive in a major league franchise like the NHL, um, I would I think they'd almost universally say, as far as best practices go, absolutely having some kind of a, you know, a sounding board for the general manager who has tremendous experience. That's, that's a, a key thing to have. But I'll say this, that the team I love, the Ottawa Senators, um, they, under this ownership, they're not about best practices. 
<laughs> they're about cheapest practices. They're about Correct. corner cutting practices. And I don't see any way that this owner will go out and do those things. I think he believes he knows best and this, things like advisors to the GM, I feel like it's like, okay, that's just another salary I have to pay. Yeah, Dorian could do it. Dorian, yeah, it's fine. You don't need that guy. You know, when it came to, you know, the CEO being fired, nah, the, the owner can do that too. He just put the CEO label on there. He can do it. It's fine. So I just don't see when people talk about that idea, it's an excellent one. They absolutely should get a senior advisor to the GM in Ottawa. However, it's just not going to happen. Well, I, I read something this week, and I'm forgive me, I don't remember who, um, but somebody did a breakdown of the smaller market teams, specifically Ottawa, Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg, and looked at um, hockey ops scouting positions within those organizations. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was um, only Calgary has a senior VP. Um, Calgary also has three assisted GMs. The Sands, of course, only have one. Um, but then people who were considered to be directors of something or other, the Sens had uh, like two and Calgary and Edmonton had four and five each or something like that. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was interesting. It came down to, in the, in the end, uh, Ottawa total hockey ops was closer to Edmonton, around 20 people, whereas both Calgary and Winnipeg were were higher. I think Calgary was even over 30 right? in their whole hockey ops employees kind of breakdown. Yeah, I feel so, like com- comparing things right now is tough because everybody's probably cutting corners now with COVID and no fans oh, and the games sure. and things. Uh, I just uh, this this was a case. This was um, you know lack of manpower in the hockey executive department has been an issue that goes well beyond COVID. So I'd like to see yeah. what every other Canadian team has been doing outside of these trying times we're in. Well, yeah, Calgary brought in Don Maloney. That's who they're. Their senior VP of hockey operations is Don Maloney, who, of course, was the GM in in Arizona through all the crap years there. Right. Uh, And then an assistant GM, they've got Conroy and Brad Paschal and uh, Chris Snow. And I'm not sure how much work Chris Snow does these days. Of course, he's battling ALS. Um, But there's there's they seem to have a lot more people over 30 compared to the senators who only have 20. So it's kind of interesting. But. Then when you look at it, you do a comparison with Winnipeg and Edmonton, similar size markets. They're around the same number of people within running their hockey ops department. Right. All right. Changing gears once again in uh, some of the news from the week. Uh, again, the wild signing Ray Shiro as a senior advisor to the GM. And as the Boston Bruins. Well, wait a minute. What? Who, who should they hire? Who should the Sens hire? Yeah. I don't have I threw, a I threw, I, threw, I threw a name at you. Uh, I don't know if what I have a name. I don't know if I have a name handy necessarily. I know that uh, Randy Sexton, for example, is a name that pops immediately sure. to mind, and that uh, he's he's garnered tremendous experience around the league over the last uh, well couple of decades since leaving Ottawa, and yeah. um, you know uh, he pops to mind because he's got a history here, and of course he would have been the guy that probably hired Ray Shiro back in the day because he was uh, an early right. day assistant GM with the Ottawa Senators, so uh, that might be a name that. Uh, could I thought Jim option. Rutherford's out there. Yeah. Jacques Martin just lost his job. That's a perfect one right there. Well said, Steve. That's a good one. Yeah. Jacques, he's been a GM in the league. He's been a coach in the league. Uh, that That's a really good one. Where'd you think of that, buddy? Well done. Well, you asked me, so I came up with yeah. some ideas off the top of my head, and uh, <laughs> he'd be great here for sure, and I think fans wow. would appreciate him as well. And so, yeah, who knows uh, how that will play out, but I just don't well, see them taking on that other salary. Does it have to be a former GM guy, or would you be happy if it were just a, just a maybe a former player? There's a certain former player who's who's here in town, and maybe maybe the owner could try to make up with him and bring him back into the fold in that type of a role. Sean Van Allen, <laughs> love Van. He's the best. I do. Uh, but you're thinking of Daniel Alfredson, I yeah. imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't he be the right kind of guy for that type of thing? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many times you can burn a bridge, yeah. rebuild it, and walk back over it again. It seems like Alfie's had his fill of Eugene Melnick. Good point. Yeah, good point. I hope. I mean, I love. I mean, there. I think every fan listening right now would absolutely adore that. And uh, and 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 again, if Eugene Melnick um, were thinking straight, he would make that happen. He would extend <laughs> that olive branch. Uh, but I think it, it's it's a prideful situation. 
and um, and obviously that bridge has been burned in both directions, and I just don't see for the greater good Eugene Melnick uh, making that happen and uh, and and trying to. I mean, it's uh, it's it's this constant butting of heads in almost every relationship he gets into business wise. That's what it seems yeah. like. There's so many lawsuits yeah. that are outstanding right now. I think of the Daniel Offertson thing. How do you alienate the greatest player in franchise history? That makes no sense whatsoever. But this gentleman has managed to do it. Yeah. Anyway, I don't how about, make- a, how about a Jason Botterill? He's looking for work. He played a large part in the building of the Penguins uh, before he he had a short stint in Buffalo as GM. He was assistant GM in, in Pittsburgh for quite a few years. Yeah. And the rumors were that oh, he's going to go back to Pittsburgh, but he's a he's a guy floating around out there looking for work. You've also got another Buffalo connection in Tim Murray, though I don't think it's worked sure. since you like he earned a little money. Uh, and what was left on his contract from his days as GM of the Sabres, but he's probably in the market. But again, it's, 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 I, I feel like it's a moot point. I just feel like we could come out with some great names, but I just don't think, uh, I just don't see this hire uh, being something that ownership really feels is necessary, even though you're probably I think right. the, you ask most people, I think they'd think it was best practices. Um, so uh, moving, moving right on. Along. Yeah. Bruce Cassidy in the news. Uh, his Boston Bruins eliminated by the New York Islanders. And in the game before their elimination game, he went off on the officials. Quite respectfully, I got to say. I didn't think he was over the line or anything like that. But he was definitely critical. And he was fined $25,000 for that. And it didn't really work because, well, the Boston Bruins <laughs> are no longer vying for a Stanley Cup. Was he trying to do the Wayne Gretzky Salt Lake City thing? It's, you know, <laughs> you know, they had just trying to set the table there was he genuinely emotional and are you a fan of the nhl levying these heavy fines for criticizing officials oh well that's a lot of lot of baggage there buddy which question Um, do you want to tackle first are you a fan of the fines yes i am I, i i i think that there are probably internal uh systems in place for for people to make complaints and lodge complaints I think the only reason he does it publicly is uh, just wants people to know, hey, you know, we're doing the best we can. We're trying as hard as we can. But here's a possible excuse if you want to look at one and to sway fans and bring out boo birds at home games and things. It, it's, it, I don't see the benefit of it doing it publicly. I, it's, I just don't. Like if you have a complaint, I'm sure you can fire off an email. I'm sure you can make a phone call. I'm sure Cam Neely can make a phone call as the president of the Bruins to the NHL office and, and lodge a complaint or, you know, just air his grievances in whatever way, have a rant on the call, whatever he needs. It doesn't have to be done publicly. So in, in a sense, I can understand why there are fines in place. What gets people is the dollar amount. When you look at a player who can only gets a $5,000 fine max, but that's collectively bargained. There's no collective bargaining agreement for coaches and coach fines. That's the problem is the dollar amount. I yeah. think that's, that's, that's a large part of the problem. Well, you think that Tom Wilson you. got five thousand dollars? That was crazy. That's the max. Yeah, right. That's the max. So, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, I agree with you. It was it was very low key. It was polite. He even said the next day when they asked him about it after the fine, he said, "Well, you know, I thought I did it. I thought I was uh, whatever the terminology he used, but basically, he wasn't swearing. He wasn't yelling. He wasn't ranting. He was raising what he thought was a legitimate point in a in a calm manner." And was was genuinely seen to be surprised that he got fined at all, but hey, you just you just don't do that. Yeah, I think I'm on board with the fines for officials when you get into the area of you know mocking. Um, you're sure. you're just tearing apart their abilities um, as as referees. You're defaming them as people. Like if you start doing that stuff now, absolutely bring out the hammer. But I really thought Bruce Cassidy handled that well. I think that you should be allowed to broach that subject because it is, I think we can agree, that that can sometimes be uh, one of the key reasons why you win or lose hockey series. You know, if the if the calls don't go your way sometimes, and I'm not saying the referees are out there um, cheering for one team over the other or have it in for your team, but if calls are being missed, they, and, and that's part of the reason your team is out, and your job relies on your team not being out or going as far as you can in the playoffs. I think a coach is, uh, you know, should be allowed to present that as one of the possibilities 
um, as to why his team's no longer playing, so long as they do it respectfully. And I think Bruce Cassidy did. So that's how I feel. Yeah, I, like I agree with you. He, he he should be allowed to voice his displeasure and have questions, but does it need to be done in a public forum? Regardless of whether it's done politely or not, should he be doing it in a public forum? What is the what is the means to the end? What is the reason for for doing that publicly? Like trust me, within the dressing room, they all know how he felt. He said nothing publicly in that press conference that earned him the fine that he hadn't already shared with his players that hadn't already been discussed eternally internally amongst the organization and the hierarchy and everybody there. So what was the reason for going public with it? And that's probably part of the reason why you're getting fined because nobody, what that would be part of the fine. Like, what are you doing? What do you need to do that for? We are, you already talked to us. You already, you know, pursued the proper avenues open to you available to you. We discussed it uh, with you and, you know, you, you got your rant out quietly, privately. Then why are you now going public? Well, again, uh, I think that the media is coming at him with that. They want answers. Why did you lose? Why, why, is the, why are the Boston Bruins eliminated from the Stanley Cup playoffs? And I think it's fair, if he believes it, for him to introduce that I think that the, some calls were missed. He didn't put yeah. it in terms of vendetta. He didn't put it in terms of the referees are against us. He didn't say... They probably have, you know, money on it in Vegas and they're cheering for the <laughs> Islanders. Yeah. New yeah. York Saints was brought up, but I, and that's what everybody glommed onto, but I don't, I don't think hilarious. it was hilarious. Yeah. I don't think it was unreasonable or anything like that. It was just a, a nickname that he gave them because it just seemed like, you know, they're getting away from, with everything. I just didn't th- think it rose to the level of, you know, you need to start fining for this. And I really think that when you make something like that, um, so sinful, and you got to pay you a twenty-five thousand dollar fine. I think you you neuter the personalities in this league. You you sanitize things, and you throw fines out like that, and then you wonder why everybody's so boring when they get in front of a microphone. I feel like this contributes to that. It's not the be all end all. There's lots of other reasons that uh, that guys, coaches, players are fairly stoic in front of a microphone because they're worried about the micro the, the you know the fine and everything and criticizing officials that's one thing but they also don't want to say the wrong thing and inflame you know something with their own team or something with the other club and and just have the media have a frenzy about it so there's lots of reasons why you get dull commentary but uh if if you can remove one of the reasons and I think this is one of the reasons then I think uh, you go ahead and do that because I think Bruce Cassidy was in fact being respectful, and I think it's reasonable to present that as one of the reasons why the Bruins aren't playing hockey anymore. Fair enough. I'll give it to you. All right. <laughs> you just want me to shut up. That's why. I guess. Yeah. My wife does that sometimes, too. She's like, oh, oh okay. fine, fine, fine. Okay, let's you're move, right. Let's move on to something else. You're right. <laughs> All right, that epic music can only mean one thing. Yes, it's time for this week's Dunrobin Distillery's player profile. This week we check in on Drake Batherson. He was one of the diamonds in the rough uncovered by the Senators in the 2017 NHL draft. 120 players were drafted before the Sens scooped up Batherson in round number four that year. In fact, the Sens got Shane Bowers and Alex Formanton before they turned toward Batherson, so they can't take a ton of credit on that one, or they might have gone after him earlier because you redraft right now. Uh, certainly, he goes ahead of those two guys and might go top five overall. The 23-year-old already the Sens' first-line right winger, looking great with Kachuk and Norris, and seen as a foundational piece of the rebuild. He had 34 points in 56 games. Like his line mates, his father played pro hockey as well. In fact, Norm Batherson was part of the Sens' organization in its early days, and hockey runs in the family. With the Bathersons, his younger sister May, also a fine hockey player, She's getting ready for her third year playing at Syracuse University. Drake Batherson, this week's Dunrobin Distilleries Player of the Week. Love the Drake, Drake Batherson. Seinfeld reference there. Yeah, I got that. (laughs) Yeah, okay, I didn't know if you're a Seinfeld fan. And can I get you a nice glass of Canadian rye whiskey from Dunrobin Distilleries, Greg? I'm in. There you go. Oh, yeah. All right, cheers on that. Uh, that will hit the spot. Let's close it out today with some Sens birthdays. They came back last week. They returned this week, celebrating here in the last seven days as we record this. 
Jason Spezza, 38 today. Is he going to be back in Toronto next year, do you think? Oh, for sure. Yeah, he wants to be there. I think his his regular season performance certainly warrants he's, he's there. His playoff performance, yeah, he, he's back. Come on, no question. Well, I just they they have a lot of these leaders that are getting on, and they're going to have to cut bait with some of them. Thornton, Simmons, Fulvino. Well, I think Thornton, Thornton, Thornton goes before uh, before Spezza goes, and they won't be able to afford Felino anyway. There you go. So, Spezza turns 38. Wade Redden is 44 years of age. Uh, a fine career with the Ottawa Senators, though I do think an overrated one, in my humble opinion. I did get accused back in the day on sports radio of running that guy out of town. Well, in fact, Jason yeah. Spezza, actually, I got the same accusation. So it's funny that they're born on the same day. <laughs> Are they really same day or same week? Same week, sorry. My bad, same oh. week. Okay, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> there are two guys, uh, three guys, in fact, that are born on the same day this week. We'll get to them in a second. A couple, uh, couple of cups of coffee in Rob Ray, 53 years of age, the old Sabres tough guy who some may not remember was uh, briefly an Ottawa senator. But he was there didn't for a very. Two cups hit- of coffee? What's that? He got two cups of coffee. Oh, I didn't know that. I thought he just. Yeah, had, like uh, he, was, he was brought in one year by Muckler at the trade deadline. And then all but disappeared, uh, maybe retired, and came back out of retirement to come back the next year, later in the year. Well, there we go. He had, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he was here once. He never went and played anywhere else, but he just he, he went into semi-retirement or for some reason was gone and then, then brought back again late the next season, I think, again. That's the weirdest Ottawa Senator career ever. So in 0203, yeah. he played five games for the Sens. Oh, you got it. Okay. And then yeah. in 0304, he played six games for the Sens. Yeah, and I bet those six games in 0304, like the year after he was acquired at the trade deadline, I bet those six games were late in the season in 0304. I would think so, because I think that that famous brawl, Sens and Flyers, yes. was near yep. the end of the season. And uh, that was certainly an interesting deal, because Rob Ray and Donald Brashear, I think, were the ones that got into the fight that started the whole thing. And uh, listening on Wally and Mathot this week, they had, or last week, Ken Hitchcock on. And oh, okay. uh, he, he talked about it. And he Hitchcock's, he, he was hilarious. Hitchcock, as the Flyers head coach, was yep. basically looking over at Jacques' bench after things started getting crazy. And he saw Jacques there and he realized, hey, Jacques's got two fewer players than I do. And he claims that his deal was, I'm just going to keep running guys out there until it's just Jacques and nobody else. And it's... And I'll have two guys left, and he'll have no guys left. <laughs> Not exactly politically correct, but that's what he okay. says was the reason he did it. So Okay, interesting. Yeah, I'd say. All, all that from Rob Ray's birthday. 100%. And uh, Rob Ray and uh, also Phil Bork, also brief cups. Oh, yeah. Of yeah. He was Pittsburgh Penguins Stanley Cup champion and then uh, played a couple of seasons with the Ottawa Senators. And uh, he's a, he's uh, He's been on Penguin TV. Yeah. Or exactly. Penguin Radio or TV, one of the two, for a long time now. Yeah, he's 59 this week. And Heck Kilray in the old uh, builders category. Oh, Brian Kilray's <laughs> uncle, born in 1907 uh, this week. And uh, this was the interesting one. So this past Monday, um, June 7th, three existing Ottawa Senators guys in the organization all celebrating the same birthdays. Igor Sokolov, 21. And Philip Gustafson and Victor Mete are exactly the same age. They're wow. both 23 years of age on June 7th. And I find that interesting because you've already got a pair of guys on this team who are exactly the same age. And they are drafted really? in the same freaking draft year, a few picks apart. Thomas Shabbat and Colin White. Oh, wow. Look at you. Huh? You're like birthday trivia guy. Right. <laughs> okay. I just look at, like, I, you know, I always think that both – uh, that Mete's been around longer than that. And for Gustafson, for sure, it seems to me like he was the surefire goalie prospect of the future for the Penguins, and, and he's been around forever. And then you look, and he's only 23. His age strikes me as being younger than what I think he should be. Yeah, Mete at 23, is uh, it's got to be a source of regret for the Habs. I know they're going deep, and they don't care mm-hmm. right now. But I think before long, they'll be looking at, what were we thinking with that guy? How do we let that guy slip through our fingers? and lose him on waivers but uh hey they're in the final four so it's not a concern uh, at the moment we need to take our leave we should call it quits right there and uh it's nice that hockey's back after a couple of days off as we head into the final four here 
Uh, you've been keeping busy in between rounds with a little movie oh, yeah. binging, I understand. I watched the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, all 23 movies, Steve, over the course of this past week. I started with um, Captain Marvel, which is the first one that you should watch. Uh, is it, would that be chronologically what I'm talking about? I have no idea. I've only seen a few I don't, of them. Don't watch them in the order they were made. Watch them in the order they took place. Okay. So you should start with Captain Marvel, then Captain America, the original, and ending, of course, with, with Endgame. Uh, just phenomenal. Watched all 23, like about two or three every day, and well, it was more like three or four every day. Wow. <laughs> you have to really apply yeah. yourself to pull that oh, off. Oh, it, it's, 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 take some dedication, my friend. Yeah. Yeah. You, you want to be an MCU guy. You, you've got to do this. It, it needs to be done and in this order and just phenomenal. I, I, w- I would do it again next week if you, if you told me I had to. I wish I watched Marvel more often and I could come up with some sort of Marvel catchphrase to close the show. Do you have one <laughs> at your fingertips so we can close it out with? Avengers Assemble? Avengers Assemble. Oh, God. No. I don't think that works. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, good luck if you go around again. Uh, if not, uh, enjoy <laughs> yeah, okay, the Stanley sure. Cup playoffs this week. Uh, great show as always, and we'll talk to you next week. Yep. See you.